Well, good morning, Highland Park. Uh, I am honored and privileged to be here with you. I'm looking forward to the time that we are going to continue to have together. Already grateful for the time that we've had. Uh, I am, uh, as Brian said, my name is Michael DeFazio, and I am a professor at Ozark Christian College. So just to make sure I don't forget this, on behalf of Ozark, let me say hello and thank you. We always want to make sure that we thank the churches for their partnership. Now, in the past, in the future, uh, Ozark has always had a great partnership with Highland Park. You send us students, we send you some of them back, and we're so grateful uh, to be in the same kingdom with you and the same family with you. And also, I want to mention to all of you, um, if any of you want a taste of Ozark, but you're not in a position to go or doing other things or maybe well into your career, we've recently put together some resources for folks in the church who would like some teaching. It's called Next Level. And basically, it's just um, some of us teaching some of our favorite subjects and uh, shooting short videos that walk through some content. If you're interested in all in this, you can at any time text the word next level. It's just one word, next level, to the number 55,000. It's free for you. 55,000 will send you a link uh, that you can follow, and you can just learn to your heart's content, all of the things that we love to talk about. So I want to make sure and say those things, and like I said, give you a thank you and a hello on behalf of the college. Now let me give you a thank you and a hello on behalf of myself. Uh, I'm very glad to be here. I've always loved Highland Park Christian Church. I uh, grew up in Tulsa at another church here in town, always had friends uh, that went to this church. We would connect with one another at camp in the summers, and, and uh, when I went to Ozark, I uh, was good friends with some, some young people that grew up here and uh, have been uh, grateful for the ministry of this place. I've known Brian uh, off and on for a while, met him actually when I was a student. Uh, at Sunset Bible Camp, and I remember the first two things I learned about him were, number one, he had a smooth jump shot. We met on the basketball court, you know. I don't know if he still does, but he just left it up there, and it would just go in most of the time. And secondly, he had a smooth beard, you know, like still does. So before, like, everybody had a beard, Brian Jennings was rocking the beard. So I, that, that was my first memory of this guy. And, of course, uh, I know Matt Crosser works here. I've known him a bit longer. Uh, he's a cousin of mine, so I've kind of known him since, you know, I was born into the world. And uh, he was uh, spent the weekend with him and the students and some others up at sunset and he was talking about this I still remember this we used to play GI Joe's together at my great-grandma's house and uh, he was the first one that showed me you put the gun in their hands like this and then you position them like this and so you always trust a guy that teaches you how to play with guns and toys you know what I mean it just there's a bond that's created in those moments that just continues to last so I'm um, happy to be here for sure um, uh, as Brian mentioned he asked me to talk about loving God with all your mind which is a little bit like asking a large Italian man if he'd like some free pasta, you know? So, yes, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, this is something that I'd be delighted to talk about. But as I started to think about the text and the topic and the moment, I, I kind of realized I don't know most of you. Some of you I know when I was younger and, and, and still recognize your faces. and Don't know most of you, though, so I don't know, like, how you're predisposed to the idea of loving God with your mind. You know, it's kind of part of this whole guest preacher, guest teacher type role is sometimes you got to guess, like, what do people, like, are they all about this? Is there some hesitation here? Are they excited about this? And sometimes you know, uh, sometimes you know that they're not going to like it. I remember one time I was asked to come talk to some students. So a buddy of mine was a youth minister, and he said, hey, will you come, you know, t talk to our students on a Wednesday night thing? And I'm like, sure, hey, I'd love to. What do you want me to talk about? Uh, the, the theme for the night is obey your parents. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know? I'm just going to wear my shirt that says, just so you know, you're going to hate most of what I have to say, you know? <laughs> this is going to go great, swimmingly, wonderful. But other times, like, you know that it's, it's going to get pretty positive, you know, uh, reception. Uh, you probably heard this before, but they say that the most popular topics to talk about in church are, number one, sex, number two, the afterlife, and number three, will there be sex in the afterlife? So, 
It's not our topic today. Maybe next time you talk about those things, you can call me, you know, and I'll... Actually, I'm busy that day, but I know a guy. He, you, maybe you've... His name's Jose Heredia. So, yeah, he would just be perfect for that situation. So call him. He'll come. It'll be wonderful, you know, and uh, you'll have a good time. But we're talking about today God and the mind, God and knowledge. For now, we'll stick to that. We'll save the rest for later. And so far as I can tell, when you start to think about this topic... We, have to, we just want to start by saying, here's some wrong turns we could take. Because we want to move in the right direction when it comes to God and our mind and thinking about Him. So when it comes to God and knowledge, a couple of just dead ends I want to point out and we'll just clear away. And the first one, the first wrong turn that's going to get us to a dead end is the attitude that says knowledge matters most. You know? Now some of us are wired this way. For some of us, knowledge is just, it's what we love. We want to know things. We want to learn things. Some of you are an intellectual, you know? And if you, if you think it's fun to race calculators, this is probably you. If you think, uh, you know, going to the library is a good idea for date night, then first of all, you're a nerd. Secondly, like, you might be a little bit of an intellectual. You know, if you like, <laughs> if you ever go to the bathroom to read but forget to go to the bathroom, like, this is you. You're, you're probably a person that's prone to thinking knowledge matters most. But even for those who aren't wired this way, it's not just a personality thing. When you start to learn, and when you start to learn about God, it can be kind of intoxicating. Because it's meaningful, and it's exciting, and it's rich. And in a lot of ways, this is my story. I mean, I, I wasn't a big reader as, as a kid. I didn't like love, just love books. But then I got to Ozark and, and, and just fell in love with studying the Bible. I just absolutely just captured my heart. And so my pursuit, well, it's taken me back to Ozark, where now my job is to teach other people how to read the Bible and what it means. And so, so this is me. I'm kind of wired in this way. And, and for all of us, we have to recognize when we start to think that knowledge matters most, it's important that we don't forget a verse like 1 Corinthians 8.1, where Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's important for us to remember that Satan is a pretty good theologian if we're just talking about having accurate information about God. He knows in his brain a lot of true information about God, and it doesn't seem to have helped him a whole lot. And I think about the early Christians and the mark that they made on the world. The early Christians were noteworthy not because they were smarter than everybody else, but because there was a power in them that demanded an explanation. So yet knowledge doesn't matter most. And if we're tempted to think that, we need to recognize, we'll just stop right here, that that's not the direction we want to go. But on the other hand, the other temptation is kind of the opposite one. And that's saying knowledge doesn't matter. This too is a wrong turn. This too will get us at a dead end. Now we tend to be people of action here in America. You know what I mean? Like we like to get things done. And, and I think this is fairly positive. Like we're, we're, we're doers. Just give me what I need to know to do it. We're not big on, you know, a lot of us, when you think of a, a big fancy word like theology, if, if it's even a word in your vocabulary, you picture like people sitting around and arguing about questions that don't really have an answer. Sometimes this can happen. And we think, oh, like, like that knowledge piece, I mean, it's just not that important, you know. I remember I was talking to a young guy one time, this is a number of years ago, and uh, we had been doing a, like a week of ministry together, and then a group of us were out eating lunch, and he, he was like, man, you know, I don't think, I just do. And my first thought was, yeah, I can kind of tell. <laughs> but, um, but I'm thinking to myself, like, that doesn't, that doesn't work. The problem is what you think about makes a difference. What you believe makes a difference. Imagine if you took this, I don't think, I just do attitude towards, like, cooking a meal, you know? We're going to make some cookies. Throw in some flour. Throw in some sugar. I like Dr. Pepper. We'll throw in some Dr. Pepper, you know? <laughs> throw it all together. Hope it turns out well. It's not going to turn out well. Imagine something like buying a house. I don't think, I just do. 
So I'm just going to like, you know, drive around. Oh, there's a sign. I'll buy that one. Here's all my money. No, like that's a bad idea. And we recognize this when it comes to most of life. Like what you think about, what you believe matters. The truth matters. Certainly with respect to God and the things of God, truth matters. Knowledge is important because what you think about God and yourself in relationship to God and the world as God made it, what you think about these things is going to make a difference for how you live every moment of your life. And just like apart from even us thinking it through and recognizing that, that no, the idea that knowledge doesn't matter is a bad idea, even, like, even if we just don't think it through and, and just listen to the Bible, the Bible's clear. That it, it doesn't allow this kind of thinking that pushes, pushes knowledge aside. Now, I want to read our main text. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 12. We're going to bounce around, and uh, I'm going to mention a, a number of other scriptures that are going to help us reflect deeply on what we see here. But, of course, the theme of this series comes from Mark 12 and the, the conversation that Jesus had. So I want to read it to you uh, once again just to make sure that we have this uh, repeatedly being brought before our attention. Uh, so Mark chapter 12, we're going to read in verse 28 and, uh, 29 and 30, so just a few verses. And in context, Jesus is coming towards the end of his life, and he's in this moment having a lot of controversial conversations with religious teachers of the day. They're all trying to catch him. They're asking questions to try to make him get into trouble, and he's demonstrating that he's brilliant, and it's not going to work. Like, they start trying to get the upper hand, and by the end of it, everybody's really impressed with Jesus and afraid to ask him any more questions. So that's kind of the big picture of what's going on in Mark 12. Here's, here's the conversation we're going to look at. Uh, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important one? Verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Greatest commandment. Can I say, first of all, I love that you guys are doing a series on the first commandment. Some of you know that it's followed up immediately by Jesus saying, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's obviously important. But one of my worries about some sectors of the church today, some quarters of the church today, is that we can collapse the first commandment into the second one. So you hear people say things like, you know, loving people is what it's all about. And loving people is really important. But what Jesus seems to suggest is that it has a firm place as number two. And that loving God with everything actually is number one. I love that we're giving divided, uh, focused attention to kind of dividing up this statement and figuring out all of what Jesus says. And today, of course, we're focusing on loving God with your mind. Now, Jesus, when, when he gives him this answer, he's not just making it up. He's not just, you know, just pull it out of my back pocket. He's quoting the Bible. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, love the Lord your God, so on and so forth. But if you compared the two, you might have noticed that in the Old Testament version, in the version of Moses, Deuteronomy 6, it doesn't say mind. Love the Lord your heart with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Like this is the one that Jesus himself adds in. Now, it's not that the Old Testament didn't care about thinking. They didn't actually have a Hebrew word for mind, so it wasn't in there. But Jesus is like, now we're using new languages. Now we can get this in here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And the rest of Scripture backs this up, that the mind has an important part to play in our relationship to and faithfulness to God. I think about Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I always think it's important to pause and say, what might we be tempted to say next? 
Because some of us think, don't be conformed to this pattern of the, to the pattern of this world, but like withdraw from society and create your own little Christian ghetto over on the corner. That's not what Paul says. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is again, the mind. Think about Jesus' statement in John chapter 8, verses 21, uh, 31 and 32, where he's talking to his followers, and he says actually to a lot of people publicly, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth. Do you know how the phrase ends? And the truth will set you free. What will set you free? The truth will set you free. Here's a verse that haunts me, Psalm 10, chapter 4. So it's, just, it's just easy to, you know, Psalm 10, it's not a popular passage. I remember reading it one time, and this verse hit me square between the eyes. You know why? Because like many of you, I'm a busy person. And sometimes when I think to myself, oh, I really need to do this thing, oh, I'm just, I'm busy. Or well, I really should give a little bit more time to just thinking about God. But I just got so much on my plate. And then I read Psalm 10, 4, which says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I think that oftentimes, if we're not thinking about God, it's not because we're like intentionally trying not to. It's because we can't make room in our thoughts for him. It seems to me to be a fairly common problem, and yet the book of Psalms says, this is the description of a person who's actually prideful and wicked. I don't like this verse, because it puts me on notice. So the Bible's clear that thinking about God and knowledge about God is important. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't just say this is a part of the process. In many places, the Bible actually treats knowledge of God as pretty near the top of the list. I think about back in the Old Testament when God's people were going into exile because of their sin. And Jeremiah, my favorite prophet, was explaining to them what went wrong. Another verse that haunts me, Jeremiah 2, chapter 8, it says, The priests did not ask, where's the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. The people didn't know me. And in case you're thinking, well, that's talking about the leadership. Yes, the leadership bears a specific burden to know God. But later on in Jeremiah, God makes it clear that this isn't just for a few people. He says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let the one who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. If you're going to be boastful about something, God says boast about this, that you know who I am. It's not just the Old Testament either. Jesus himself in John 17, 3. He, you, you, we use this phrase. You ever heard the phrase eternal life? Right? We use this phrase a lot. Eternal life. We always need to remember that eternal life doesn't just mean living forever, although it includes that. It's talking about a certain kind of life. What kind of life? Jesus defines it. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, he says, that they may know you, he's praying, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Paul, too, adds his piece in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. I consider all things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's enough, right? Like, I don't have to keep going. We all agree. Knowing God is important. I mean, these are some pretty strong statements from various parts of Scripture. Front to back, top to bottom, the Bible seems to indicate that the idea that knowledge doesn't matter won't work. Does that mean we're all supposed to become scholars? No. Does that mean we're all supposed to be intellectuals? No. Does it mean that we're supposed to love God with our mind? Yes. But I like to be honest, and sometimes when we read the Bible, we say, why does it say that? Why are you saying that? So why the strong statements about knowing God? What gives, you know? Why does knowing God matter so much? 
And I've got to be honest with you. While I like this question, I hate it at the same time. Why does knowing God matter? Part of me just wants to answer with, are you kidding me? Like, he's God. He made me. You too, you know? Could there be anything more worth us thinking about than the one who put us here and the one who saved us and the one who we'll be getting to know through all eternity? Of course not. So I'm tempted to just say, duh, of course it matters. Let's all go home and read our Bibles. But I don't want to get on a soapbox and actually forget to answer the question. So two reasons, two reasons. And I'll tell you, this is really the heartbeat of what I want to communicate with you today. Why does knowing God matter? When we get to the practical stuff, you already know what to do. I'm going to remind you, you already know what to do. I want to help us remember why. Why does knowing God matter? Two reasons. First of all, because we are God's servants. That's reason number one. Because we are people who have said to God, I'd like to serve you. I'd like for my life and my time in this world to contribute to your kingdom, to your mission. I want to serve you. And I want to remind us that knowledge of God, knowing who he is, accurate thoughts about him, Knowledge of God is the most practically helpful and relevant kind of knowledge there is for people who are trying to serve him. I believe that. I want you to hold on to it for a second. I want to camp out here for a minute and think about this. I'm saying that knowledge of God is practical, that it's always directly relevant to what's going on in your life. And I think it's important for us to pause and think about this because I get it. You're going through the course of life and you're making breakfast and changing diapers and paying bills and, you know, taking out the trash and doing all of the any number of practical things, ho-hum, down-to-earth, routine things that we do on a daily basis. And usually when we're going about the process of doing these things, just thinking about God doesn't seem super practical. Like it doesn't seem like the most valuable thing that we could do with our mental energy kind of feels like we'd be better off if we were thinking practically, if we were thinking tangibly, if we were thinking logistically. What needs to be done? Let's make a to-do list and let's plan the process. And that's the kind of thinking that we really need to get. That's the kind of thinking that makes a lot of sense. And sometimes, yes, of course. Like if you never think practically, <laughs> your life's probably a mess. So there's like some truth to this. We should just be practical and, and plan things out. But let's also back up and recognize that throughout the Bible, thinking practically and logistically and sensibly is not a reliable guide to serving God well. Was it practical for Naaman to travel all the way to the Jordan River just to jump in this water as opposed to the water back home? Was it sensible for him to dip himself in this water seven times? Was it, like a, was it, was it, a, was it a sensible military strategy for, um, for Gideon to whittle down his army from 32,000 to 300 men? No, did it make tangible, practical, relevant sense for people at a wedding to fill some water jars with water and then serve it to people who were expecting wine? No, like these things don't make sense. Throughout scripture, people do what doesn't make sense if all you're looking at is what anyone can see. But they make great sense if what you're looking at is what few gaze their eyes upon. And we don't have time to talk about the dozens of stories in scripture where people just make an absolute mess of everything just because they simply don't think about God. Pharaoh, Saul, Judas, they didn't raise their eyes above straight level. They're just focused only on what's going around them, and they're trying to make a plan for what makes sense to protect them and theirs in their world, and they jack things up because they weren't thinking about God. And on the flip side, you think about the people who served him faithfully, and the fact is they knew him best. Moses, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jesus, Peter, Paul, John, Mary. Were they perfect people? Well, with one exception, no. No, they weren't perfect people, but they were faithful. Knowing God matters because we're his servants. 
But serving him well is really only the half of it. And the second thing I want to say is, knowing God matters because we are God's friends. Because we're God's friends. I really think this is as helpful and important as anything I could say to you this morning on the topic. Knowledge, even knowledge about God, becomes dangerous if you separate it from friendship with God. But if you put it back where it belongs, it's like a hand in a glove, fits perfectly. Let me say that again. Knowledge, if you separate it from a friendship with God, will be dangerous to you and the people around you because you'll just be right answer guy and nobody will want to hang out with you. (laughs) But if you put it back in the context of friendship with God, then it's right where it belongs. And can I just say too, I'm a little bit tired of this... um, you know, people saying that, you know, well, I don't, I'm not, it's not, I don't want to know. It's not about knowing about God. It's about knowing God. You've heard this before, right? We don't want to just know about God. We want to know God. You know, it's a personal relationship. It's not about accurate information. And part of me wants to say, well, of course, it's not enough just to have the right answers about God. It's important to have a relationship. But let's stop acting like the two work against each other. You know what I'm saying? Let's stop acting like they compete with one another. <laughs> if I... If I asked you in front of your wife what kind of food she likes, like where she likes you to take her for dinner or something like that, and you said, oh, pff, I have no idea. I'm not so much interested in knowing about her. I want to know her, you know. <laughs> I can make you a promise. Like you won't be knowing her in a biblical sense anytime soon if that's your answer to the question, okay? And why? Because accuracy matters. Accuracy. Accurate information about a person is a prerequisite for intimacy, not its enemy. Accurate information about a person is a prerequisite for, you want to be close to somebody, you got to know certain things about them. Knowing about God is not the enemy of knowing God personally, it is a servant to being his friend. Sometimes information is required to make this work. If you don't know that God is just, if you don't know that he's a God that doesn't allow sin to go unchecked, then you might have a tendency in your relationship with him to treat him like he's Santa Claus. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't actually care what you're going to do. He's going to give you gifts anyway. And if you treat God like he's Santa Claus, then eventually you're going to come up against the rough edges of God's justice. And you might think that God is being mean to you. He's not being mean to you. He's being good to you. He's being God to you. And on the other hand, this is even more, I don't know about more dangerous, but this is maybe a little bit more common. If you don't actually think of God as a gracious person, as a person who's willing to do good to you even though you don't deserve it, if you don't think about God as a gracious person, then you will spend your whole life under a dark cloud of guilt and shame because you can never be perfect enough for him to like you. Then you will go about the religious motions feeling like you got to perform. you got to serve enough, read enough, do enough, or God won't like you. You're going to be in trouble at the end of the day. If you live your life with God in constant fear of being in trouble, then you don't understand the gospel, and your thoughts about God are not aligned with who he really is. And at the end of the day, your life won't be characterized by joy and peace and rest. Like, I know that loving God is weird. I get it. He's invisible. And he, and he communicates us mostly th- with us mostly through a book and through other people. That's weird. That's not like the other relationships that we have. So I understand that it's strange, but I do not believe that knowing God, I don't believe that friendship with God is hard. I think that friendship with God is really hard if your mind is full of thoughts about him that aren't true. But I actually think that friendship with God, that loving God, I think that loving God is actually kind of easy. It comes somewhat naturally if your mind is filled with true thoughts about him. 
I want to make sure you hear this, so let me say it again. I think that loving God is easy and comes naturally if your mind is filled with true thoughts about him. Know him accurately, and you just will love him well. And we want to know God accurately and personally, because in this we know that there is confidence and joy and peace and rest. In this we understand that there's an ever-deepening friendship without ship, without which we would live discontented lives, no matter how well it looked like on the outside, no matter how clean the outside of the cup was. If the inside is a mess because we lack this friendship we were made for, then our hearts will be a mess too. Knowing God is important, <laughs> not just because God's going to give you some sort of a test at the end of time, but because God wants you to be his friend, his friend. I think knowing God is the most worthy pursuit to which we could give our lives. I think it's the most powerful thing that we could set our minds upon and keep our minds on as we go throughout the course of our day. I do feel that if I sat down right now, that would be enough. But I want to be helpful to you this morning. I want to be practical this morning. So I want to talk a little bit about how, how to love God with your mind. No doubt there are a number of things that could be said that we won't say, and that's fine. Our goal is not to say everything. Our goal is to say a few things well. Our goal is to give you a few things that you can take away from here and do. Two of them. Number one, nothing fancy here. Read the Bible. Everybody say Bible. Yes. Such a fun word. Read the Bible. Like I would imagine and kind of hope that you would expect for me to say that in a sermon about loving God with your mind. Because I think it would probably be unwise not to say it in a sermon about loving God with your mind. Read the Bible. God has given us the best tool to think about him well. Scripture. And let's be honest, most of them collect dust six days a week. Now, I don't know about your feelings towards something like New Year's resolutions. Maybe you're into it. Maybe you like, like New Year's resolutions. Maybe you're into it. Four of you, awesome. It's always four, you know. How many of you hate them? Yeah. How many of you don't care, right? Like, and I honestly, like, we find ourselves at different points on the spectrum, and I don't really care where you are. I do think it's funny. I don't know about down here, but in Joplin, like our Walmarts, right now for the first couple weeks of January, all the exercise equipment is right up front. You know what I mean? And then, like, by February 1st, it's in the back corner again where it spends the rest of the year. So we make New Year's resolutions, and if you made some, congr- I mean, I hope they're going well for you. You're only a couple weeks in, so I really hope they're going well for you. If you- well, we won't talk about that anymore, but here's my point. I, I, it's early enough in the year. I'm glad I got to come in January. I appreciate the timing of this because I want to encourage you to make a commitment to read the Bible this year. We're only a couple weeks in. It's not too late. Read the Bible. Did you know that in less than two hours a week, you can read through the whole Bible in a year, cover to cover? 15 minutes a day, cover to cover in one year. That means that if you watch, like, uh, if you watch four shows a week, if you cut your TV time in half, and, and devoted the other half of it to Bible time, you'd read through this whole book in one year. That's pretty doable. And some of you are like, well, I don't really watch commercials because I watch on Netflix. Well, if you watch Netflix, you binge and you watch a lot more than four a week, okay? <laughs> like, this is the world we live in. So it's just, it's not that hard. And I listen, I understand if reading the whole Bible is like a little too daunting or just not, not what your soul needs right now. And, and I, that's, to some level, that's okay. This is, this is not a guilt thing. It, reading the Bible is never, if you don't do this, you'll be in trouble thing. It's more of like a wisdom thing. I don't think we're so much like guilty. I don't have my hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Hopefully you know how much I love you, even if I don't know you. And I'm not trying to be mean if you don't read the Bible. I don't think like not reading the Bible is so much makes us guilty as it does make us dumb, <laughs> if I could be honest with you. I just think it's a wisdom thing. 
So, like, I don't care if you can't read all of it. That's fine. Read some of it. it just, just a little bit of it. I plead with you to read some of it regularly, every day. Even if you just picked one chapter and read it every day for the whole year. That would be kind of weird, too. But even if you just did that, you'd be reading something. I, I suggest Romans 8, if for whatever reason you want to do that, okay? Just read a little bit of it all the time. Chapter a day. Look, I'm not a big predictor. I've never been a big predictor about what's going to happen in the world. I have no idea what's going to happen in the world. But, but I would venture a guess that in 2017, in our culture, skepticism toward the Bible will, will just keep growing, will probably increase. I think that's probably safe to say. It's doubled among adults in America in the last five years. 2011, about 10% of American adults were skeptical towards the scriptures, and they saw it as nothing more than a book written by men with some stories and advice. In five years, 2016, five years later, that number jumped to 20. I don't think it's going to stop growing. And it's especially true among young people. The numbers are even higher. This idea that the Bible is not a worthwhile book is growing, which makes it all the more important for us to read it for ourselves and not rely on hearsay or public opinion. I believe that the best, the best witness, the best proof of the Bible's truthfulness is a life that demonstrates its power. I believe that if you read the Bible, it will do things. Over time, it will do things in your life, and that will actually show you that there's a richness and a truthfulness to what's going on here. And it's interesting for me. I don't know if I want to call it funny or even ironic. It's really more tragic for me. Because I'm at a point in my life, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because this is what preachers say. I'm at a point in my own personal life and personal journey with God where my confidence in this book as God's word inspired and powerful and life-changing, the, like the ability of God to use the pages of this book to make me the person I was made to be, you too, my confidence in this has never been higher at a time when the world's confidence is shrinking. And I'm not so much suggesting that I'm going to go out and try to change the world. But I do want to do what I can to heal the church. And that means that you and I can and probably should make a commitment to read this book. Get to it. We want to love God with your mind. Read scripture a little bit every day. If you need help on what this means, by the way, I got a couple more things to say. But as is your custom, I understand after the service, there's always people down front who can talk to you. If you need prayer or help with anything, come down and talk to us. But especially if you're going, I don't know what to do with the Bible, or I don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure they'll give you one. I don't know if I'm allowed to give things away on behalf of the church, but I'm sure it's fine. They'll put one in your hands, and we'll tell you how to read it, and we'll send you home to get started. Read the Bible. But that's not all I want to say. Last thing. Last thing. Number two, practical. Think about God. Think about him. Spend some time thinking about them. Dallas Willard says that the most, the most powerful ability that human beings have been given is the freedom to think about whatever we want. You choose what to bring before your mind. If you want to, you can think of a pink elephant. If you want to, you can think of a plaid giraffe. If you want to, you can think of whatever you want. So I'm saying use that ability to think about God. Long, hard, slow thinking about who God is. What has he shown us? What has he told us about what he is? So many ways to do this. So many ways practically to think about God. And if you really want God, you will figure it out. Maybe what you could do is find a list of names for God and study them through the scriptures. He is our rock and refuge and redeemer. He is our savior and shepherd and shield. He is the lion and lamb and Lord. He is our provider and protector. Find a list of names about God and find some scriptures that back it up and just read them and think about what it means to call God father. Think about what it means to call God friend. Study his names. I encourage you also, study his attributes. 
An attribute of God is just a word that describes something true about him. I'm not even kidding. You can, get on, you, can get on, you can get on the old interweb, right? And find, you can just Google attributes of God. And there are actually some pretty decent resources out there. So find a list, look up some passages and think about them. Think about his omnipotence, which means that he is stronger than any strength and incapable of being overcome by anyone or anything. Think about his omniscience, which means that he knows all things past, present, and future in one great act of divine, loving, comprehensive attentiveness. Think about his omnipresence, which means that he's so great, he actually transcends the boundaries of time and space so that it is true to say that he is everywhere and it is at the same time true to say that he is right here. Think about who he is. Think about his wisdom, which means that God sets perfect goals and has perfect plans to achieve those goals. Think about his sovereignty, which means that anything that happens in this world is redeemable. It doesn't mean that he controls and makes everything happen that happens, but it does mean that anything can be redeemed. Think about his grace, this word that reminds us that God is predisposed to love us and be kind to us even when we deserve the opposite. Study his attributes and spend time throughout the day thinking about them. I like to say an attribute a day keeps the devil away, all right? Like that's the mantra, okay? And I think it's true. An attribute a day keeps the devil away. Think about who God is. And however you go about this process, just do it. Love God with your mind. Arrange your days in such a way that knowledge of God is right here. Organize your life in such a fashion that thinking about God is just a natural and obvious part of what you do. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer uh, says one of my favorite lines. He talks about knowing God, the relationship with God. He says, this is a relationship that is calculated to thrill your heart. And he would know. He tells a story at the beginning of that book. I remember reading it when I was a young guy. One of the first books, I, Christian books, I really sat down and read. He tells a story early in the book about a friend of his who was in a controversy uh, with a church. I think he worked at a church in a Christian college. And a little bit of a controversy going on. And this guy actually ended up losing his job. He got fired, wrongly. And he's telling the story about this to J.I. Packer, who was his friend. And he said to him, as, as, he was, as he was thinking through what had happened, what he said to him was, I, I know I've lost my job. I know my career is over. I know that they won, but it's okay. For I have known God, and they have not. And Packer in the book talks about how he was struck by that way of putting it. He says, I might say at times that I know some things about God. I understand some truths about who he is, what he does. But to say with such confidence, for I have known God. He says, I don't know if I could say that. And that's why he set out to write the book. And he has become that story. News came out this last year about J.I. Packer. Uh, he lost his sight. So here you have a man who spent his entire life among books, who has lost the ability to read or write. And I was reading an interview with him about this, and he was asked if this would be difficult. And you know what he said? He said, no, no. He said, I've been gazing at God so long that my eyes are no longer necessary. I'm fine. And I remember I heard that story and I thought to myself, I have a new goal in life. I want to gaze at God so long that my eyes are no longer necessary. Loving God is easy if your mind is filled with true thoughts about him. So make room in your thoughts for God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful. Mostly for you. Uh, you didn't have to reveal a single thing. 
You didn't have to tell us who you were. You don't have to show us on a regular basis, but you're willing to, and for that we're grateful. We're grateful for each other. We know that one of the greatest gifts you've given us is one another, uh, to show us your love. We're not perfect about that, but we try. We're grateful for the church. We're grateful for your word. And God, right now I want to pray for the people in the room, myself included. Uh, There's always a lot going on in the world, in our lives, uh, on our phones. And uh, we pray, God, that you would help 2017 to be a year when we took some steps forward in being people who think about you and think about you well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.